Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. just gave a talk on Let Us Liberate Economic Inclusion in the New Food Economy. So you are a food activist and you write for ebony.com about food. You are the mother of four children. Mm -hmm. How, with your consciousness of food, how do you manage to feed your children in a way that's congruent with your work? I don't always get to feed them in a way that's congruent with my work. I'll be honest. I won't sit here and pretend that I walk my talk every day. Some days my kids get Popeyes. I'm a working mother. I'm out here rallying for all these folks. And sometimes I don't have the time to go in that kitchen and give them a good meal. I've been on the road for three days. I come home. It's 6.30 at night. I've got, I'm picking him up from a babysitter or I'm relieving my co-parent. He's on his way out the door and I've got to figure out how to feed them. They've got to go to school the next day. We've got to check homework and give baths. And I'm the only parent in the household. And sometimes it's pizza from Little Caesars. But the other 75% of the time when I am conscientiously making a decision to feed my family good food, I have to really think about how to be economical. I do this work. I have tremendous amount of access to resources, but I'm still, you know, I'm still low income. I still feed my kids with a snap card, a food stamp card. And so I've got to think about how to create fab food on a food stamp budget. So <clears throat> it means getting to know my spice cabinet very well and the different textures of things and what stretches and what, what doesn't and how to make really enticing and delicious um, meatless meals um, and how to turn yesterday's meal into a new meal the next day. Um, and so it, it takes um, constant education. Um, it takes constant creativity. And sometimes it takes a little bit of forgiveness from my kids when I don't get it right. <laughs> yeah. And for yourself. And for myself, right. To not beat up on myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you come to this work? You know, everybody asks me that question. I wish I could give some really enlightened answer that encapsulated, you know, altruism or sense of selflessness. This is about self-preservation. This is about self-preservation. I had a chronically asthmatic daughter who developed food allergies. I saw myself gaining a lot of weight and um, the the health issues that came along with that um, we literally couldn't breathe in our neighborhood I was feeling frustrated working in the corporate sector and struggling through school um, and I was right on the precipice of like I don't know exploding I was like I was I was kind of there in that stereotypical angry black woman mode and I found an organization called Mothers on the Move, and they saved my life. 
they really helped me to put things in perspective. They helped me find my language. They helped me learn how to articulate my narrative and my story. Um, and, and then I just became deeply embedded. I realized that I couldn't change the whole world, but there was I could try to change my world. I could try really hard to find a piece of the world that I could influence. I could try to make life for my kids just a little bit easier um, as I raised them up. And so that's where I started. I started with environmental justice, I started with air quality, and working with Mothers on the Move in Sustainable South Bronx to get a organic fertilizer company that was literally stinking up the air in my community shut down. And then after all of that was over, I realized people went right back to many of the challenges that they faced. And I knew I wanted to concentrate very much on how do we actualize our best potential? How do we take the things that are looked at as a detriment in our community and turn them into assets? So lots suddenly look like urban farms and community gardens to me. Unemployed people suddenly look like potential, you know, workforce development students. Um, underutilized property and community spaces look like potential for markets. And so I started thinking a lot about food because that was an issue in our community was one we could not ignore. Um, and so I, you know, after about three years of doing social justice work, got involved with, you know, quote unquote, food justice work. But I don't look at it that way. This is still all the business of creating social justice. This is just about creating a more whole, sustainable world for our kids and our grandkids. Well, you see, I, I think that food is the um, most uh, powerful, stupidifying drug Mm -hmm. There is. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so I would equate this work with uh, the work of uh, stopping people from taking drugs. Mm -hmm. um, could you speak to that? I mean, our food system is currently pumped full of lots of things that are not bad for us, that are not natural. Our brains, when we taste salt and sugar um, and fat... The same part of the brain that is stimulated in drug addiction is stimulated from those things. We are hardwired to like those things because biologically they are things that we are supposed to have in very low doses. So your body, you know, we, were, we are biologically, ecologically, we're hunter and gatherers. So tribe gets out there and they work a couple hours to get a boar and they split it up between everyone. You don't eat that boar every day. So when you taste it, your brain goes, oh my God, you got some fat, right? You know, you've got, in, you know, tribes that are in non-industrial lands that will risk being stung by bees to climb trees to get the honeycombs to suck on um, because it's considered such a treat. But biologically, we are not built to have those things every day. So what happens is our brains, our bodies go into stimulant overload. We're getting it every day. And much like an addiction, what happens is our palate, our brain wants that. I am in a process of like clean living and detoxing and cutting out the refined sugar and only having like whole foods and plant-based things. And it is, you know, I saw my hands shaking the other day because I didn't put, you know, this is th the third day of not having four sugars in my coffee, of drinking it with a half a, a half a sugar. And literally my hands are shaking. Absolutely, absolutely. Drug can is nourishing. It is the fuel for our body. And it's a damn shame that more of us put better fuel into our cars than we do into the, into the body that's going to get us up out of the bed every day and take us out into the world. 
and the things that are being put into our food system and into our foods, even our whole foods, putting sugar in milk, you know, um, are definitely sending us into stimulation overload and creating people who are absolutely addicted to processed, unhealthy foods. So you mentioned that your daughter had asthma and food allergies. Mm -hmm. Has she been better since you have more or less changed your diet? I mean, you know what? It varies from day to day and week to week. There's some days that my daughter will get a hold of some chocolate and because she's got these food allergies, because she's dealing with asthma and she's dealing with some sensory issues, that sugar sends her into the stratosphere and it's like, you know, it's like, wow, you know. And then there are days where we are conscious of how much bread she's eating and how much sugar she's intake, you know, she's, she's intaked into her body. And yes, she's a calmer person. She's a less itchy person. She's a person who can breathe better. Um, and so, I mean, I don't need a scientist. I don't need a study. I'm looking at this with my own eyes. I know her because she's my child. And so I know that these things affect her. And so I've got to be, so we can't just put her on a special diet. I've got to be very conscientious of making sure that we're all eating that way so that she feels a part of our home, that she doesn't feel like some different being who's being isolated. Tanya. About 10,000 people a month listen to the Future Primitive podcasts. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. What would you like to say? What would you like to get across? The most important thing that comes to your heart and mind. Um, is that everybody's lived experience has value. Um, our lived experiences aren't absolute, however. They are realities that exist within the context of other people's realities. And in order for us to move towards this world where we have food justice, housing justice, environmental justice, all these justices, we've got to get down to the origin of it, which is that we need to find greater understanding amongst each other and that we really need to be operating from a place of compassion and love. And in order for us to get to this place of compassion and love, we've got to dismantle all of these falsehoods and myths and um, red herrings that we've built around ourselves to insulate ourselves and validate our, in, our inherent greediness, our inherent um, desire to have more than others. We all encapsulate that as human beings. I think it's part of our... Makeup. I think what makes us very different from other mammals in the animal kingdom, some of them, because some of them seem to show a lot more humanity than we do to, to show one another, is that we have the ability to reason. We have the ability to compromise. We have the ability to negotiate. We are, one of the, we are the most complex organism on the face of this earth, and we are the ones that are doing the most damage. And so we've really got to think about that and really get down to understanding that while our needs are important, my need is no greater than anybody else's need in this room. My need does not validate or excuse me tearing down, tearing up, or tearing apart another person, another community, the planet, in order to get that need. And we are seeing that happening on massive scales around the planet. And the impact that it's having on communities is devastating. And the chickens will come home to roost, they're already doing so. And so I think that's what we, we really need to 
sit in, as my friends from Baltimore would say. That's what we need to marinate in, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, I think that's what I'd like to, to leave people with. Thank you. My greatest uh, pain and fear in life is the pain and fear of exclusion. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so wonderful to hear you say that because that's it. Nothing else feels as threatening to Mm -hmm. me as feeling excluded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when people feel so drastically excluded, then we start to see the just almost irrational amounts of violence that we see all over our planet because people become I mean violence is used to oppress people but then for many folks violence becomes the byproduct of frustration that many times is based in the inability to feel included in the world that is going on around them that affects them. We saw this with, we see this with civil wars that are happening all over Africa and Latin America. You see this happening, you historically in this country you have seen it happen during the civil rights movement with, you know, the, the militant, you know, sort of the militant black movement mm-hmm. and many of um, its allies, right? It became a cycle of violence, violence that was yeah. used against people to oppress people and then violence as a response. To the violence and the oppression and really that came as a response to people saying I have a right to be included I live in this world too and if you will use a pistol to oppress me I will use a pistol to defend myself and to create the kind of attention that needs to happen so that you will pay attention to what's happening in my community and with my family and with the families that are around me and, and we've seen that th- that's not working. It has not worked. It has not worked. F- fighting for peace has not worked. <laughs> yeah, I could go on talking. Uh, I know, me too. 